Our scripture reading today is from the book of Philippians, and I will be reading from the message translation. And while the message translation sounds modern, the names are not, so we're going to work through that together. My dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy and fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God. I urge Euodia and Syntyche to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want God's children holding grudges. And oh yes, Syzygus, since you're right there to help them work things out, do your best with them. These women worked for the message hand in hand with Clement and me and with the other veterans. They worked as hard as any of us. Remember, their names are also in the book of life. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean revel in God. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them, not against them. Help them see that God is about to arrive. God could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do your best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and you saw and you realized. Do that and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into God's most excellent harmonies. These are our sacred stories. I've been thinking about identity recently. More specifically, I've been thinking about how powerful and motivating and comforting a firm sense of identity can be, but also how much pain and injury can be inflicted and received when we divide the world up into me and you, us and them. It feels like something is changing in our culture, like we're moving away from curiosity about the world and about how people make their way through it to something that's more defensive and hostile. It feels like we're wearing our various identities like impenetrable shields, terrified to take them off and risk injury, unwilling to critique them, uninterested in sharing. And I'm wondering how we change this trajectory. We gave Towns the middle name, oh God, every time. Um, 
we gave towns the middle name Harvey after Harvey Milk. It's cute, right? <laughs> Harvey Milk used to say that the most important thing that gay people could do to achieve equality was to come out. He believed that living out of the closet was the best way to dispel fears and myths and assumptions and to enable gay people to be fully engaged in a more inclusive community. I think his vision was one where gay people could publicly add on their gayness to the various identities that they already had in place. It was the adding on that was important to do, to add to, not to take away. But I'm not sure things are working out as well as Harvey might have hoped. Instead of adding on and expanding our identities, it seems like so much of our public conversation is about the impossibility of connection between ever-increasing numbers of really carefully drawn, exceptionally niche identities. We're all special snowflakes, right? So unique, so particular. We're so unique, so particular, that we can't possibly be fully appreciated or valued or seen. I think that places like Covenant have the potential to counter the pull toward this type of exclusivity by prioritizing what we do in the world rather than who we claim to be. We here do this by doing church with more humility by saying that the desire that we have to live as Rabbi Jesus taught us does not mean we really know what Rabbi Jesus taught. There's a lot of confusing nonsense in our sacred stories. It means being a church where atheists and agnostics can sit in the sanctuary and know that no one is secretly hoping for them to change. It means being more interested in what we do for justice and love and peace than in questions about what we believe. To me, Covenant is a place where beautiful and wounded people come to take off their heavy identities that have weighed us, them, all of us down. We come to this place with these people and we find that in setting down our, our certainty about who we are, we're better able to become something more beautiful together. We've got wounded Christians that come and heal and recover. We wander away, we come back, we create meaning together. And in doing all of this, we create life together. My hope for us all during this time of stewardship is that we continue to invest together in our unique way of exploring spirituality. This is a special place, but not because we're right or the best or the most progressive or the most sincere. We are not special snowflakes, but we are trying to be a counter to all of the specific certainties that are tearing our world apart. And that is a community that I'm proud to be part of.
sandwiched <clears throat> in the middle with the hope that I'm not your first nor last impression of this, <sighs> of this proclamation. One of the issues that both our outreach committee and church council are currently focused on is finding ways to be more effective in getting the word out about covenant. The ways we do outreach have evolved tremendously since I found Covenant in 1995. I was on the verge of turning 40 and was at the crossroad, at a crossroads in my life. I wanted to make and maintain some big changes in my way of living, and I thought a church home might help. I found Covenant in an advertisement near the back of an issue of the now defunct print edition of the Houston Press. I don't remember other church ads in the press, but there was this intriguing ad for a church that called itself Baptist, but also was open to people of all racial and ethnic heritages, all sexual orientations, and all faith perspectives. I wasn't even a Baptist in my youth and hadn't attended church in over two decades, but I was intrigued and probably a little amused by a Baptist church that was that welcoming. The rest is history. It was the only church I visited. For years, when I told this story, people looked at me suspiciously, probably remembering that the personals in the back of the Houston press were somewhat notorious. While I deny that's what happened, I will not deny that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Services in 1995 were held in the afternoon at Bel Air Christian Church in the Gulfton area. Almost from the start, I remember increasingly serious discussions of having our own building. Fundraising with a much smaller congregation began, and thanks to a few very generous individuals, including Richard Huff, for whom we have named our fellowship hall, this building and the one adjacent are reality. It is hard to believe in retrospect that an even smaller giving community accomplished this. What I found at Covenant from the start was a church home where I wasn't talked down to. It was obvious to me that members had varying theological beliefs. That was compatible with what I was hearing in 12-step meetings as God as you understand him. Soon, beginning to attend regularly, I was invited to participate in this community in other ways. Repeatedly, someone would reassure me that I didn't need to bring anything but my authentic self to any role I was asked to fill. I have, however, seen looks when I've been at this podium where some of you are obviously thinking, I wish he'd be just a little less himself sometime. <laughs> That said, no one's taken the initiative to correct that situation, and, and here I am again. So, For the first time in nearly three decades of participation in Covenant, I'm serving on church council. This opportunity has allowed me greater awareness of the hard work that so many do for this community voluntarily. I can also more fully appreciate the fiscal challenges of a church our size and the strain we put on a small, 
capable and dedicated paid staff to meet our needs as a community. When asked to speak today, I realized that I joined this journey at about the current halfway point. In that time, we have never been a community who is comfortable talking about, much less asking for money. Al, I, however, am more personally committed to the message of Christ I hear and witness in this community than I have ever been. My sense is that our city, our nation, and our world desperately need communities of hope, especially when hope is so hard to muster individually. As I consider what difference I want to make in my remaining years and what small mark I would like to leave behind, I see that very connected to this community. Covenant has affirmed me and helped restore my faith in a church community. As we move toward the end of the short part of the annual calendar, when we actually do mention financial support, please give consideration to how you might add to the ripple that this community may make in the days and years ahead. There's a lot of chili out there, so I hope everybody stays, just saying. If I had to title my portion of today's proclamation, it would be, Blessed are the Gravy Makers. One Sunday, about two years into our membership at Covenant, I was sitting on our family's usual left spot on the left side of the church. It was a communion day, and I watched um, a person after person walk back from communion most of them lightly bumping their right shoulders on that wall that slants. <laughs> I found myself smiling and possibly even glowing a bit because this is true. As each passed by, I realized that I loved them. I actually knew and loved every single person. Thank you, Christy, for starting the ball rolling. Um, so thoughts like this floated by as I watched. I love that kid. Ooh, I love her shoes. A new haircut. They did a great invitation last week. I worked with them on building the labyrinth. They tell great stories. Their advent, light, their advent candle lighting was sweet last year. I sure enjoyed talking to that guy. That person's aunt just died. They do genealogy. They're a scuba diver. They made the youth choir. They're going for Eagle Scouts. The undercurrent to these decidedly non-spiritual oriented thoughts was admiration, but also sheer love. I puffed up smug at my luck. What are the odds that literally every person here is great and I love them? But then I considered that maybe it was only the left Indians. Think about it. Next, because I'm awful, I also thought, I sure can't say I love any other entire group of people. Certainly not my colleagues, or my, or my neighbors, and definitely not those other soccer moms. But back to the wall of love. My love was born not only of your new shoes, achievements, and good stories, but of the greater gifts that you bring to our church, to the world, and to, often to me and my family personally. 
It was the beautiful Easter wall hanging that just looked white, and but when I walked up, I, I saw a depth and complexity of design. It was the fresh ground coffee at the church retreats when any camp I'd ever been to sold something, served something less than Folgers. It was the mentors to my sons, the haggard chaperones <laughs> after lock-ins, the soup delivered to me when my mother died, the cakes contributed to potlucks and hospitality tables, the people I bonded with on work days at pride parades and Schlitterbahn outings, people who were great, I found out, at party planning, tool using, poetry, plants, and on and on. And since this Eureka moment occurred around 2005, um, when I also saw the singers and musicians, who partnered with Reagan, my late husband, I was thankful then, and I am still today, that Covenant became such a great haven for his strings and kick drum. All those gifts, I realized, just come, unasked for, like gravy, as my dad used to say, or, Pete, or like grace, as Laura might. Uh, no one asks for chocolate-coated cereal clusters at hospitality, but they show up. <laughs> no one expects a stunning cello concerto, but there it is, or an impromptu tutorial on family trees. I never expected cards and letters and visits when my dad died, but they came. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> they came, and they come, and they will come. Because people here listen, care, they know how to do things, they sign up, they show up, and they bring stuff. I love them, you. Even you, on the right. <laughs> so, where is this reverie of love leading to this simple point? My dad, who was no cook, assumed that gravy just came. And for him, actually, it did. Um, but my mom, who knew that no gravy would grace the table unless someone whisked flour and milk into the meat drippings, and that someone was she. What we really need today are gravy makers. Which is to say, bluntly, we need your pledge for what you plan to give this year so that we can meet our budget. So please, keep bringing all your unexpected talents and creativity and those clustery cereal items, but also help us plan ahead. So grab your pledge card, write a number, and then if you can increase it a smidge, that would be great too. And keep showing up and bringing uh, your wonderful, lovable selves. And watch out, because that side slants a bit on your way down. Thank you.